0: Namaste, and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast, where we are exploring the mystical in the mundane, and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern-day living, yoga, mythic, and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kilkenny the host of the Modern Mystic podcast, and today I am delighted to be speaking with Maya Toll. Maya is the author of the best-selling and award-winning Wild Wisdom series with over 100,000 copies sold. The illustrated Herberary, the illustrated Bestiary, and the illustrated Crystallary have inspired a line of puzzles and oracle decks. The seeds for this series were planted years earlier when Maya apprenticed with a traditional healer in Ireland where she spent extensive time studying the growing cycles of plants, the alchemy of medicine making, and the psychology of working with humans and illness. Translating the lessons of the natural world for the modern seeker led Maya to open a small shop called Herbiary in 2006. Herbiary now has locations in both Asheville, North Carolina Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and a fabulous shop online. Maya was called, quote, a real-life Professor Sprout from Harry Potter by Forbes magazine and can be found in a PBS special, The New York Times, and National Geographic Traveler. She has taught botanical medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, Westchester University, and Pennsylvania Hospital. She regularly teaches at conferences and festivals where she encourages people to use patterns and metaphors from the natural world to help them understand and grow within their own lives. Maya, welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be
0: here. Well, I'm so thrilled for our listeners to hear your amazing download of wisdom. You're so prolific in so many ways. And I'm really With great anticipation, wondering what does it mean to you to be a modern mystic?
1: Such a good question. To me, mysticism is about connection. It's about connecting to something beyond the human connections that we think of as modern society. So kind of stepping back from social circles and social media and connecting with the world around you. You know, the the trees, the stones, the animals, the air currents, the sun, the moon, and continuing to foster that connection. It's not like a, you know, a one time, hey, I did it. Now I'm a mystic. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that continuing to to grow into those relationships and nurture them is what it means Mm. to me to be a modern mystic.
0: Mm. I love that so much because it's so true about any relationship that's worth having that, We know we need to keep nurturing it, fostering it, and it speaks to even the idea how relationships evolve and change and shift. And so when we do that, as you said, with different aspects of nature, so, so important to keep that consistency of practice,
1: you might say. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think that's, that's one of the things that I have found more and more important, is that consistency of practice. It doesn't matter. that It's not about doing the same thing all the time, but it's about doing something, right? You know, you can call your best friend or email them or text them or send them a picture or Snapchat them or whatever. But if you want them to remain your best friend, you need to keep up the conversation. You need to be in relationship in some way, shape or form, even if it's just sending them a quick thought before you go to bed.
0: Mm, So true. So, so, so well said. So Maya, I met you almost two decades ago when you had opened your exceedingly lovely herbal apothecary in Philadelphia. And it's so exciting to see you now shining as a popular author, a master teacher in the herbal and mystical communities here where we both live in the U.S., And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about your journey, how you came to work with herbs, study in Ireland, and about your path and how it led you to the important work you offer this world today.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) Let's recount 25 years in five minutes. (laughs) There's a couple different threads that got braided together. One thread for me was the physical body and illness. So that thread started when I got sick in my late 20s. And modern medicine really didn't know what to do with me. So there's that thread. And then, you know, I've always been fascinated by mysticism and spent a lot of time in college looking at different religious histories, different spiritual histories, even studying sacred places, trying to understand what that's been through history and how to find that for myself now. And then finally, there's this thread of connection. One of my favorite books in high school and college was a book by E.M. Forster called Howard's End, and they made it into a really horrible movie, but the, the book is wonderful. It's just layered with metaphor. And in the very beginning, it just says, only connect. And that thread runs through the entire book. You know, that when we fail, it's because we have failed to connect in a myriad of different ways, on a myriad of different levels. So this seeking connection braided in with a fascination with the history of spirituality and mysticism and religion, braided in with this illness that I I had, which turned out to be a severe gluten intolerance before mm. the word gluten was even used. <laughs> before the word celiac was even used, a doctor actually said to me a couple years ago, I'd really like to see if you actually have celiac. And I said, great, let's do that. Because I hadn't been eating wheat for 20 years. And he said, great, well, I need you to eat gluten for a month. And I looked at him and I said, why would I do that? Why would I do something that I know makes me ill so that you can tell me whether I have a named disease for this illness or not? That makes no sense to me whatsoever that kind of tension with the medical system, with a system that is so ingrained in our way of thinking as modern Americans, you know, we get sick, we go to the doctors, that tension supported this pulling away from kind of the human way of doing things while still seeking connection, right? Because that's another thread. And that kind of led me into more natural therapies and looking at the body in a different way, looking at the body in relationship to the soul in a different way, looking at the body in relationship to the world outside in a different way. So all of that operated together. And then opportunity got splashed into the mix. And I sold my house for four times what I had bought it and suddenly had a bank account like I'd never had before as a teacher and was like, okay, I'm giving myself a sabbatical. And what do I want to do with that? That's how I ended up in Ireland for a year studying with an herbalist and traditional healer and a woman who pretty vocally identified as a witch and a druid. And that was the, the nexus, the coming together of these three different threads that allowed me to kind of see how they interrelated and and braid them together.
0: Wow. What a story and what a serendipitous course of events that conspired to to really ignite your path. Being in Ireland, is that the land of your family of origin or? It is not. Are there any
1: threads with that? Not DNA threads. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. I, I know that there's a lot of focus right now on where your DNA is from. But I think that there are other levels of connection. If you believe in reincarnation, and I'm always a little bit murky on whether I do or not, I kind of think that all of the bits of us go back out into the universe and they get reused and recycled, but I don't know if they get reused and recycled whole. You know what I mean? But in that reuse and recycle, who knows where you've been, who you've been, what lands you've Mm -hmm. touched. And then Mm. I also believe deeply in lineages of learning and the, not only the ability, but the right of a teacher to take in a student Mm -hmm. and to, you know, nurture them in a lineage of learning because they feel that's the right person. They intuitively know that that's the person that they need to pass this knowledge on to. So I am 100% Jewish (laughs) by way, by way of Russia. Um, And I actually had a (laughs) DNA test and was very disappointed to see that no one had had an affair for 3,000 years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things I love about what you said. First of all, I love Howard's end. (laughs) And so (laughs) I want to start there (laughs) for our literature uh, nerds like I am. And it's how you spoke about connection. and, And that was obviously your initial answer. And it is so important. And I feel like herbalism is such a connection to all of our roots, because, I mean, isn't it the case that, you know, since time immemorial, our human species has been engaging with herbal remedies and and plant medicine and all the things. And it's only very recently that we've been cut off from that. So I feel like it's like our literal birthright to reclaim that wisdom. And as you shared so authentically and vulnerably, thank you about your own story with that. Journey back to that wisdom and that tradition, which led you to your studying. And I also want to highlight just, I agree completely with the value of having a master teacher. I feel like right now there's a lot of rejection of, you know, the teacher and the guru or the expert because we're crumbling systems and dismantling, you know, misaligned patriarchy and all the things. And I know that has to happen in certain kind of ways. But then there's the not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And there are people who are great wisdom keepers. And there is nothing that replaces years of study, practice and studentship that once one's put in that time, the value that one can learn from being in the presence of such a person. I really, really honor that
1: you had that, that Real gift of a master teacher. I think that every experience you have in life has a positive face and a negative face. There were very negative moments of this teacher relationship. That's real too. But I think that we're in this time where knowledge is being democratized. We learn from the computer. And there are certain things that are just not transmitted in that way. You know, so it's mm-hmm. not to say go into a relationship with a teacher blind and think that it's just going to be a sublime experience. Your teacher's a human being with all the human foibles. But that relationship, you know, I, I I just said I'm 100% Jewish, but one of the things that has always kind of struck me from Christianity is this idea of people gathering in his name I think that the quote from the Bible is whenever two or more of you. I'm not sure if that's exactly right, but there is something that happens at, like as a transmission between human beings. It's that level of connection that we don't have words for, and it does mm-hmm. not come through the computer.
0: Totally, and and there there is such um, power. I, I love and I come from a yoga tradition and a background since childhood. And yoga, the word yoga means literally the Sanskrit root, yuj, which means to connect or to yoke. And there's this practice of satsang in the company of the truth and the understanding. It's just what you said from the Christian tradition of that idea that when two or more come together in in satsang in the company of the truth is the translation because it's that when you're together with the intention to connect, the truth is burgeoned. And we remember the truth of ourselves and who we are and we reflect that back to one another. So, so many beautiful threads you're weaving together for our (laughs) listeners. Thank you. Well, herbalism is such a vast world containing ancient wisdom. And um, again, I feel like it's a thread that was, you know, cut by modernization, by Western medical practices, which I honor, but there's time and space where they're supportive. And then sometimes they can bleed into the realm where they're not supportive, as you experience and I've experienced. And I'm wondering you know, when it comes to herbalism, I love it so much because it's very practical. You're dealing with the physical body, you're dealing with physical plants on the material plane. And would you mind speaking to your experience of the intersectionality of where herbalism meets mysticism?
1: Yeah. So I was actually listening to you say, you know, it's very practical. It's very physical. And I'm like, it is. It's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Mm, for me, it is about connection. And I, I mm-hmm. actually think that that's the difference between someone who trained with the plants and with a human who was connected to the plants as opposed to someone who trained through books and with, like, dried materials. hmm To me, herbalism is always about me connecting with the plants, me connecting with the energy of their growth and their gifts. And so there's this overlay where you're looking at the physical and you're overlaying this connection. Like for instance, St. John's wort has been used to treat depression. St. John's wort blooms right around the summer solstice. And it's used to treat the depression of seasonal affective disorder specifically. So, Mm -hmm. I like, you know, I find it gorgeous that this plant that blooms at the summer solstice is what we need at the winter solstice.
0: Mm -hmm. It
1: carries the light of summer to us in the winter. And so, while, you know, I can speak, and when I lived in Philadelphia, I actually worked with one of the large hospital systems as well as a couple of medical doctors. And so I can translate this mystical feeling into language that a medical doctor can understand. And I kind of know where the line is and what I can say and what I can't say, Mm -hmm. but whatever's coming out of my mouth is influenced deeply by the mystical connection, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. that's, To me, like, if you look at at a list of plants to treat a stomach bug, there are 40 or 50. How do you choose? And the way you choose is by knowing the plant intimately and getting to know the person intimately. And it's kind of like, you know, setting a friend up. It's like, oh, you know (laughs) what? I think that person's going to get along really well with Lee, but not so well with Terry. so interesting, you have to get to the point where you can make that connection. And that's the difference between someone who uses herbs and someone who has taken the time to make the connections with the plants and then with the people on the other end, right? So that Mm -hmm. they can make a really solid introduction.
0: Mm, That's such a gorgeous way of of speaking about it as a Wisdom holder of the herbs. I love that because different times when I've worked with herbs and people who really know a lot about herbs, you know, they'll give you information. But I've so appreciated my own journey of like meditating on the plants and working with plant oils and such. Last week, I all of a sudden in the middle of the night, I like woke up. My husband's like, What are you doing? And I'm like, Blue tansy, Blue tansy. And he's like, What? And I had this dream, and Blue tansy came to the dream. I ran to my essential oils. I put the blue tansy out. <laughs> I didn't even use it or smell it. I didn't think about it. I just knew I didn't want to forget. Yeah. And then I went back to sleep. And then the morning it was, it was there. And it's just this amazing thing that... If you're someone like me, who's, you know, I'm not a, an expert by any stretch in herbs like yourself or anything, but it's so to me affirming to hear how you're speaking and it really gives breadcrumb clues for our listeners, hopefully as well, how you can start to think about being with the plants and creating relationships with the plants and connection with the plants, because then eventually you can start sourcing the wisdom from within always you can use a guide as well for for safety and reference point. But there is this, you know, aspect
1: of um, mysticism that comes into it. That's so cool. For me, there's always a balance between intellect and intuition.
0: It's Mm. never just
1: one or the other. So when I was making a formula for someone, my teacher in Ireland would always use eight herbs in a formula, and I tend to use seven or eight. And so you know, if I was making a formula for someone, I would choose six or seven herbs and I'd let the last herb choose itself. So the base, the six or seven herbs that I chose were my intuition kind of dancing with all the accumulated knowledge of the herbs. And I would look things Mm -hmm. up and, you know, double check medical studies and things like that. The last one, I didn't have to understand it all. You know, I remember a day I was mixing a formula for someone, and a bottle of calendula literally fell off the shelf and hit me in the head. And I was like, (laughs) "Okay, calendula, here you go, you're you're in." I don't know why, and just opening that door to the mystery and saying like, "Okay, I don't know why," but then within that, right? So calendula is fairly benign. I don't think there's anyone that I'd be, you know, really concerned about giving calendula to, but there are some herbs in my apothecary that I would be concerned about giving people with particular conditions. Mm -hmm. So if an herb fell on my head that I'd be concerned about, I might put one drop in an entire bottle just as like, okay, you're here, you know, you're here dancing with everybody else, but I don't really actually want you to have a physical effect on this person because you're the wrong, you're like, you're, you're wrong constitutionally or, like there's something, there's something that doesn't work on the a, a physical plane, but I get that you want to be here on the non-physical plane.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's it. The herbs are obviously plant, but just to remind the listeners, right, there are these living substances. These aren't, you know, chemically made in a laboratory. They're food, whole foods alive. And so there's energies to them that are very alive. And that's part of the magic of it. I'm so curious, just because you helped my father-in-law with several health challenges from an illness, quote-unquote, standpoint, using Western terminology, what in your mind are a few key perspectives or philosophies that you feel are beneficial to know as inevitably living as embodied human beings, we will all face health challenges and imbalances?
1: Yeah, I think first of all, bless Louise Hayes. I mean, she's like... Hay House and everything she created, her books were amazing and they opened up people's eyes to a different way of seeing. And they also created this idea, like Louise Hay basically said, if you have an illness, it's trying to tell you something and it's always, like, it's always a psychological or emotional thing. And sometimes actually what it's trying to tell you is a physical thing sometimes your illness is telling you you've been eating too much salt or you've been eating gluten and your body doesn't like it. And so like Louise Hay brought this idea in and now so many practitioners in the holistic realms go first to, I was having an inner ear problem and one of my friends trying to be helpful said, well, who are you not listening to? Mm -hmm. And It was my friend, so I was gentle. But what I really wanted to say was, give me a fucking break. You know, the things that are going on with me are deeper than that. And, you know, there's a certain amount of infantilizing people. Like, you know, oh, who aren't you listening to? Oh, you can't walk? So how do you feel disempowered? I feel disempowered because my fucking leg won't take any weight. Sometimes the problem is in the physical realm. And from the physical realm, you end up with emotional issues, right? Like if you're a person who can't take any weight on their leg, you're going to end up feeling anxiety and loneliness and aggravation and anger and so many things that should not be Mm -hmm. ignored, but they are not the cause. They're the effect, and yeah, so, yeah. you know, I think that it is so important when you're dealing with, with things in the body that you look at it from every side. It's like a sculpture. You know, if you've ever taken a sculpture class, if you approach it kind of from a two dimensional point of view and you're like, oh, I made this beautiful thing. And you're looking at it from the front. And you're like, I love it. And then you walk around the back and you're like, oh, that doesn't work. So whenever you're dealing with any kind of illness, you're doing the same thing. Like you're looking at it from all sides. And if you neglect Mm -hmm. any side, then you've got a huge blind spot. So I think that for me, that's my first lesson. Like going all the way to like kind of the new age mystical and being like, what is this telling you about your life? Might be really denying some things that are happening in the physical realm, not the emotional realm. Or the mystical realm.
0: Like we I love that, that so realms, much,
1: right? Um, That's so,
0: so brilliant, really brilliant, because I do, I feel like it's such an important thing to call out, like the shadow side of like the healing mystical world, which is, you know, so important, what you're saying about how it's almost like, I feel like we've gone as a society and are moving towards, which I think is fabulous, taking more responsibility for our health, you know, looking away from just taking pills for everything without thinking through, right? So I think that's like a positive shift in the wave of the collective. But in that responsibility, taking it to the extreme of when you can start, it could even smell like blaming someone for having a health issue or blaming oneself. Like, oh, if I have this issue, I can't walk because I broke my tibia or something. (laughs) Oh, well, what emotionally or from my childhood did I do or what's happening when, like you said, it could really just be a physical thing. In a yoga perspective, you'd say, okay, it's karma. Sometimes it's just, it's called the Leela. It's the play of the, of the universe. And we just have to experience karma and we learn lessons from it. But like you're saying, it, there might not be a particular thing to deal with psychologically, emotionally as the healing entry point. So thank you for that. And I think that really breeds compassion then, because if you're really playing the game of like, oh, everything is a psychological or emotional origin, then we can cut ourselves off from compassion for ourselves when we're going through th- things and also healing of others.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we also can cut ourselves off from our physical body. So true. You know, it's, it's always fascinating to me, the exact same people who say, well, I, you know, I have a soul contract and I made these decisions about my life before I came here. Those exact same people are the ones who are often not living in the body that they say that they came to inhabit.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, it's like everything becomes mystical and out of body and energy. But if you believe that you came here to live in a human body, then live in a human body, like yeah. be an embodied creature.
0: Completely. That's that's even with my podcast title, like Modern Mystic, it's about being in the world. It's about being in your body. Exactly yeah. that, right? I love that so, so much. And thank you for really accentuating that point. That's so important. We have to deal with our bodies. They're this vehicle and honor and take care of them. And because they're the entry point way of connection <laughs> They're everything. the entryway, right? To the, the yeah. they're the portal to the mysticism. You know, one of my meditation teachers always talked about feeding people and feeding people. One day someone's like, why you, we should be meditating. We should be, you know, doing all these other things, traveling astral bodies. And he turned around and he said, if people are hungry, they can't think about their astral body. And I thought that was so great. Like, yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like until you take care <laughs> of the very basic physical needs for food and safety and sleep and shelter. You can't do the other work.
0: It's just not possible. Mm. It's so true. I did a chakra series on this podcast. A lot of listeners have have listened to it and loved it. And I start with the first chakra, the root chakra, because it deals with the body and all the physicality and our stability and our our housing and all the things, because we really do have to honor and start there. As humans okay so i have to get to one of the topics i'm most excited to speak with you about and you already mentioned it but your relationship with the word witch for (laughs) me when i was a kid i you know was born into a family of yogis which was a real blessing for me and hung out in my childhood with a lot of healers shamans monks priestesses and i would spend summers the entire summers in the catskills hanging out with these people and only once in a while, I remember the first time it happened, I was probably 10 or 11, someone whispered to me that they were a witch. And it was like a whisper. Yeah. And then over the years, this word would come up. But to my memory, no one in a large group would declare themselves a witch. And cut to today, where there's this reclamation and declaration of people all over the world, identifying themselves as witches. And it's just becoming exponentially more and more on on IG, shouting it from the rooftops, which I find so fascinating and honestly refreshing. And so can you please speak to your relationship with this word? And have you witnessed this
1: rebirth as well of what I like to call witch consciousness? Yeah. So it's really interesting that you bring this up because I'm about to jettison the word witch from my public life. Interesting. Yeah. So when I went to Ireland to study, I mean, I remember this so vividly. My teacher on her website had this photo of herself and she's sitting with like, you know, a not very pleasant look on her face. And what I mean by that was, you know, intentionally not someone caught off guard, but intentionally looking serious and perhaps a little bit not nice. Long red hair, a very dark green cloak, like full length cloak, holding a staff, sitting by a giant stone hearth. And I remember looking wow. at that picture and just being like, do I want to study with this person? You know, there's so much that I wanted to learn from her, but That felt so – like I was either like, okay, she's like this every day, in which case, whoa, I don't know (laughs) that I can keep up, or this is performative. And either way, I wasn't comfortable, right? She actively identified with the word witch at a time when there were people who were practicing Wicca who were using the word witch, and then there were people like my teacher who were studying herbs and – She wasn't studying herbs. She was a master, you know, who were using herbs and who were making a life around those traditions. Who also were calling themselves witch. And I was not into it. Like I'm not. I'm not Wiccan. I've never felt drawn to those traditions. Mostly because I walked out of organized religion when I was quite young and had no intention of walking back in. So I went to study with her, and. That was something that I was uncomfortable with before I even went to Ireland. And when I got there, she never wore a cloak. You know, she used a walking stick <laughs> sometimes when we were hiking. This thing was performative. And there were aspects of her life that were so not performative. I was actually talking to someone yesterday about her incredible devotion. You know, she would, she kept a candle going to the goddess Brigid. And like, she never let that candle go out. It was Mm. in a lantern on an altar in the entryway. And like, she planned her life around when that candle was going to gutter and she needed to light the new candle off the old candle so that that wouldn't go out. These incredible acts of devotion were so inspiring to me. This kind of self-chosen priestessing. That, to me, felt like it was teaching me something on an incredibly deep level. Mm-hmm. And so I had an uneasy relationship while I was studying with her with the word witch. And then I came back and I continued my herbal studies. I studied for for years. I mean, I studied, I studied for about seven years with all different types of teachers. And when I say studied, I mean, we're talking like full time or the equivalent of full-time. So at that point I was using the word herbalist. But when I started teaching online classes, I needed a word that would kind of be a rallying cry. How did I get people who were interested in exploring this deep connection with the mysticism of the natural world? How did I find those people? And I went through a, a lot of different words. I am i don't like labels. I never have put that into the pot as a prejudice to, to begin with. And I started pulling on different words, alchemist, creatrix, priestess. They, they just didn't, like nothing was sitting. And so, I, you know, even to this day in my material where I use the word witch, I have some things that say something like, what do you call a person? Who is inspired by the particular scent of jasmine at sunrise? Like, what do you, you know, what do you call this person who's working so hard to connect with the mystic through the natural world? Right? Like, what's the word? And I chose which. And when I first started using it, it was a word for which I could make meaning. It wasn't really being used except, you know, Disney characters. So I was able to say, "This is what witch means to me. This is how I'm using it." And in the past, I don't know, five years, I think maybe six, witch has really been on the rise in public consciousness. And looking back, I, I've noticed a pattern in modern history, not in, not in older history, where witch really was a word that was used to persecute women, but in more modern history. It has been a word that has come up when women are trying to take back power. So I think it's fascinating that along with the Me Too movement, the word witch is on the rise. But what's happened for me personally is this word that I could kind of make meaning with, now it's creating meaning that's being put on me. And I don't feel like mm-hmm. I am a witch in the way that the word has evolved in public spaces. And like, you know, those performative things that I often see associated with, with witchiness. Like I don't do those things. I don't do them in my private life. And I certainly don't feel like spending time setting up like fakey altars and stuff to show off on Instagram. So I'm, I'm actually, this is, I run a program called Witch Camp. This is the last year I'm going to run it. I wondered if that was the reason or what was happening. Yeah, I'm I'm moving away from it. I mean, even I had a, an a interesting experience with my, my book agent where, like not to repeat the whole conversation, but she's like, well, what do you think people are going to think magic means when you use it because you use the word witch? And I was like, oh my God. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm no longer, like I, this word that I was using to try to bring the philosophies I espouse to the world is now being used to put me in a box that doesn't fit me even by people who know me well
0: well I love what you talked about because you know I think the important takeaway and one of the gems of what you said about it is like if we are moving towards labels and again I am a proponent like you of being wary of labels and being thoughtful of labels. And yeah, I see the value of labels at times because, you know, when we can take on labels that feel true to us, they can, as you described with your story, articulate what we're trying to offer, with whom we're trying to gather to discuss the same intellectual ideas, practices, attract the same resonance, etc. And yet at the same time, There are other pitfalls of those labels that can, as you articulated, put us in boxes. But I think when we look at semantics and words, as you stated, it's what words help us make meaning. I mean, that's what we do when we create our own rituals. If we're taking on language to describe our work or who we are, right? What makes sense for us? And I feel like it can change, you know, as you're Really gracefully doing is like you can go through periods where you identify with X, Y, and Z, and then being gracious and spacious enough with yourself as you grow, change, evolve, or as society shifts and takes on different ways of interfacing with different words or structures, you can then let them go. And that's okay too. That's part of our evolution. And so I think that's really, really empowering. I think the witch is so fascinating. I mean, you know, most of our listeners have heard of the Salem witch trials, and I do think it is so an alignment, this reclamation of the word witch with, as you said, the Me Too movement, the rising of the divine feminine. There are studies that I've read or historical accounts, and I know even conservatively, there's an estimation that I think it's 40,000 to 50,000, and that's considered cr- conservative individuals, mostly women, were executed for witchcraft in Europe and America. And so often, initially at least, before it became this long epoch of time, when this witch hunt started, it was, you know, tracking down women who had power from knowledge of herbs and knowledge of healing. And so it is this fascinating point that I think, you know, is interesting to look back in history. And the oppression of women and this complete, really, extermination. I mean, that's a huge number of people. And now reclaiming that with the word witch, it's very
1: fascinating. It is. It's an incredibly fascinating cycle. I don't feel like the culture should jettison the word witch. You know what I mean? But I think that at this point in time, in terms of using it to say who I am to, for instance, like a publishing house. The associations with black fingernails and moody Instagram shots and, and even things like the Celtic holidays, all those associations are there. Like people, I can't tell you how many times I get on a, a podcast and someone says to me, you know, Oh, so what are you doing for Beltane? And I'm like, nothing. I don't celebrate Beltane. And they're mm-hmm. like, what? Huh? There's just a whole suitcase full of preconceived notions that come along with it at this point that are not helping my, my personal growth. Right. But I still think that the word has incredible resonance in the, in the public spheres.
0: Yeah. And for people looking for structure and looking for, I want to say like an intra architecture of a way to bring into Earth-based holidays and practices into their life and don't know how. That can be a really beautiful path. Exploring the path of "quote unquote" the witch or the traditions sometimes associated with some of those witchier paths, but it is this such an amorphous word. And so, for people who who are interested in you know exploring that they can go down that path but again i i think it's important i mean i have many friends who identify themselves as as witches and it's a word that i haven't resonated with but now that it's gotten so popular and so many people my circle use it i've become like more comfortable because it's like colloquial mm-hmm. you know when it comes to meeting with other women and and this this galvanizing like you said four. so i'm like okay cool only the last couple years i'm like okay i get it like i get the the trying to really think back on history and then the effect that has had on our collective feminine psyche and, and the way that, it, you know, many of the witch gatherings, you know, are trying to move back towards more Earth by celebrations, et cetera, et cetera. But I have Irish background and, and I've been in Ireland and studied with different people and family members. And back there, they used priestess, the, the people that I was hanging out with. So I just, it is such an interesting thing, semantics and how we identify I honor your journey with it. it. You're being authentic. like, And that's what I think is so important as we share things,
1: to be well, really authentic with what's true for us. Absolutely. And, and I think it's also fascinating just like the different ways we're using words, right? So here you're getting comfortable with the word witch here and then you go to Ireland and people are like,
0: what are you talking about? Right. It depends which part of Ireland, which sheep you're hanging out with, and which, you know, <laughs> I, I went to uh, Kilkenny, Ireland. So that's, you know, that area of Ireland. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's what what's true for you. I love yeah. it. Well, I, I want to ask you about your incredible work with Oracle cards. I have a few of your decks. I love tarot cards. I love Oracle cards. I've been working with them since childhood. And I, yours are just a masterpiece. And just a recap, because there'll be some people who are jumping into this podcast for the first time, many of my listeners have heard me talk about this, but Oracle cards, in my experience, are a divination tool. And a divination tool is like an instrument that helps us connect to messages from the universe, you could think about it, or you can think about it as wisdom that lives within ourselves, but it's reflected back through these tools. But maybe there's interference to our deepest wisdom and selves that we just can't hear. And so we can use these tools. And I love for you to please elucidate how in your mind Oracle cards work, quote unquote, or how you were guided to make your own sets and maybe your top one or two ways that you recommend working with your beautiful Oracle cards or Oracle Mm -hmm. cards
1: in general. Thank you. So for me, Oracle cards... Or a tool that help you see the world in a different way. Love that. So when I pull a card, it's kind of like saying, look at the situation you're thinking about through this lens. I always tell my students, my witch campers, the question comes first. I see so many people just being like, oh, I'll pull a card. And they're like, "Ah, ah, it means I'm like, well, what was your question? the card exists in relationship back to that connection thing, right? To your question. So without a question, it's just kind of like a free floating puff of dandelion fluff floating by. But once you have a question, then that card exists in relationship to the question. So you have your question, you pull a card and you say, okay, now I'm going to look at my question through the lens of this card. How does this card change my question, explicate my question, make me see, just like we were talking about the sculpture before, the backside that I was ignoring. you know. And so I find them helpful over and over again because we get stuck in our mental tracks and our emotional tracks. And when you pull a card, you have to look at things from a different angle. You have to kind of get out of your track, out of your groove. So that's how I see them and that's how I use them. In in terms of how these decks came to be, when I was working on the Illustrated Herbiary, I had been put in contact with a publisher. I'd been put in contact with my current publisher through a mutual work colleague, another herbalist. And they were interested in having me do something. They didn't know what, and I didn't know what. I had always wanted to write a book, but I used to joke that I was... An author without a story because I read novels. I don't tend to read much nonfiction at all. And so a book to me was a novel and I was, but I don't have a story to tell. So therefore I can't write the book. So I was going back and forth with this publishing house and they, they wanted me to do like a how to book. And as you've probably heard by now, my approach to herbalism is like through the lens of the mystic. I can go deep into medical herbalism, but it's always just a different way of saying what I know through that mystical lens. So mm-hmm. I really like a how-to book to me, just it didn't get across what I wanted to get across about the herbs. So we went back and forth for a couple months. We didn't come up with any ideas, but I decided to start working on a memoir of my time in Ireland. Um, not for them, just because like the writing bug got kind of reinvigorated. And I started working on it. And at the top of each chapter was a little ode to an herb, a little kind of poetic recapture of an herb's energy. And when I was reading these passages aloud to my writing group, everyone loved those little tone poems to the herbs. So I went back to the publishing house and I said, Hey, I've been, you know, writing these things. What would you think of, about doing an Oracle deck with these, with these write-ups? And at first they were very excited. Um, we started moving forward and then they realized that the people who purchase the Oracle decks in the bookstores are the gift buyers but that they had relationships with the book buyers and they're not the same people. And they said, we don't know how to sell this. We, we can't, we actually can't do this because we don't know how to bring it to market. And a couple months later, I was at an herb festival and the, the publisher, that's like the CEO of the publishing house was there. And I said, is this project really dead? It seems like such a beautiful project. And she said, yeah, it is. She said, we, you know, we don't know how to bring this to market. And I said, well, what if we did a book and just skip the cards entirely and just kind of, you know, like. There's this thing called bibliomancy where you open up to a page of a book and use that as your oracle. And so I got them kind of reinterested. And then as the process went on, they said, we have this idea. We're going to put cards in a envelope in the back. And I said, Oh my God, don't do that. <laughs> so people will hate that. They're going to be flimsy and they're going to have little perforated edges and nobody's going to like them. And, you know, if you go read the Amazon reviews, some people are saying just that, but. The majority of the people really love them. And we try to frame them as like a little extra with the book. And at this point, they've been so successful that a for real deck is coming out in November for the Herbiary, the Bestiary and the Crystallary. So just
0: for our listeners, just to recap. So these are Oracle cards that have herbs and plants is one. And then there are ones that have animals.
1: That's the Bestiary. And then there's one that have crystals, correct? Correct. And so those are the three ancient medicine kingdoms. When you study like the older forms of medicine, they pulled medicine from the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, and the mineral kingdom. So the books are animal, vegetable, mineral to match those three kingdoms.
0: I love that. I love that paradigm that you you birthed all that from. They're beautiful. Could you speak to the term earth-based practices and extrapolate what this means to you and looks for you in your day-to-day life. Maybe one or two of your current things that you're doing that are non-negotiable that you do all the time.
1: Nothing's non-negotiable with me. Like that, I, I don't, I don't believe in that because I'm kind of always, for me, it's, it's about feeling into the energies in my own body and in the world around me and then seeing what the response is. Mm-hmm. So... I'm actually not a fan of do the same thing every day. I think that what happens when we do the same thing every day is we stop paying attention to it. So, you know, even if you're going to do the same thing every day, find some way to change it up so that you are present with whatever that practice is.
0: And -hmm. you're not just
1: running through the motions without that presence. It's the presence that matters. The motions don't matter Mm -hmm. at all. The motions are to bring you to the presence And as soon as the motions become just something that your body's used to or your mind's used to, and you're just running through them, and they no longer bring you to the presence of the moment, then they're useless. I don't do anything every day. But for me, earth-based practices means that I have a family that is larger than the human family. And so I visit with them. I go outside and I visit with the trees and I visit with the plants and I hang out with the rocks and I jump up and down and show everybody when I find an owl feather because these are, these Mm -hmm. are moments of communion. These Mm -hmm. are moments of I am present with you. You're present with me. And that's what I'm always trying to sprinkle into my day. And it's what I'm always seeking is that moment of not only connection, but like when the connection goes one step deeper and, and you get to transcendence.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so beautifully put the liminal mo- moments and I love how you talked about presence. that's such such the heart, I think of the mysticism and finding the magic and the mundane and connection is yeah. is, is what you're doing and are your practices bringing you to presence? And like you said, I think some people, and I've talked about this in various ways throughout different episodes on my podcast, but like the idea that some people, the, some of the formality and sameness can lead them to presence. For some people, we need to be like slow jamming different things all the time. I mean, I drive my family nuts because I'm always like with, with plans, like we need, you know, about making plans with people. It's like, well, I have to feel into how I'm going to feel and what is in the moment and this and this and that. And so like I very much live my life and it works for me and feels authentic when I'm being more intuitive and checking in with the present moment and how things are revealing themselves. So it's an interesting thing, you know, to think about each person, what that constitution looks like of how much freestyling and how much structure.
1: It's really interesting. Even if you're a structure person, like there's a lot in me that's, that needs some structure. But within (sighs) that structure, I need to play. Yeah. Right. So if the structure is, you're going to say some kind of a grace before meals, then change up the grace. Like you have the structure and you have the. And you have the thing that is creating the presence. Yeah.
0: Right. So if
1: the structure is you're doing sun salutations every morning, then what's the thing that's bringing you to presence? Is it that, you know, you're looking out a picture window and like you're present with whatever's going on in the outer world while you're doing your sun salutations? Is it that you're changing up the music? Is it that you're changing up, you know, the exact sequence of the, of the moves. How are you continuing to bring yourself to presence? And if you're using repeated practice like a mantra, then are you actually being present with the drone of the practice so that it allows you to slip the, the bounds of your conscious mind? And enter that other space, or are you thinking about grocery shopping, and your body's going through the movements? Because mm-hmm. those are not totally. the same thing.
0: Totally. No. Just to recap for listeners, how you are continuing to bring yourself into presence and reflecting on that and being conscious is is, is a beautiful litmus test, you know, and and one really to be. I mean, I for me, it's a practice all day long. Just am I in presence? You know, I use different languaging, but am I in the present moment or am I not, right? And when we get conscious of where our consciousness is dwelling in our practices and in our connection and like you have your time connecting with the the family that's greater than your own family and the the earth and the animals as such, right? Then when we grow that presence, when we're doing our... Connecting with the capital C time, then we get stronger at doing it in the mundane, quote unquote,
1: seemingly mundane moments of our life, too. Absolutely. I think that's such a good, you know, that's such a good reminder. It's you're practicing so that when you have the time to go to a retreat or, you know, take an hour long class or whatever, that you can slip into that space more quickly. And you're also practicing so that when the shit hits the fan in your life, which it does, you can slip into this space easily instead of spinning out.
0: Right, totally. Such an important, important, crucial point. I mean, and really, you could argue the one of the main points, right? How can we then deal and process our life when things are chaotic and tragic and painful? With as much grace and really alignment as possible to move with and through them. Such a, such a, life will be all those things, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You spoke earlier of intuition and just being such an important aspect. And hearing you speak about your work that I admire so much, it makes so much sense to me how you're talking about you coming from that place as a primary stance and primary perspective. And I'm wondering, would you mind sharing one or two favorite ways or hacks that
1: you help others share and build their intuition? Yeah. So, you know, I think intuition is based on noticing the things that you don't normally notice. Mm, I love that. It's a fabulous way to put it. You know, so you have receptors all over your skin that are constantly taking in information, tiny things that your brain's not even aware of, or, you know, more technically your brain is aware, but your brain's saying, mm, we don't need this right this minute for our survival, for whatever we're doing today. And it just puts that information kind of in the file cabinet. Bye-bye. Um, but you're constantly taking in information from your environment in all different ways. And so intuition is bringing that information to the forefront. So the starting point for me as you know as, as a teacher is telling people to pay attention to the world around them. And the easiest way to do this is to choose something to focus on during the day. It could be a color, it could be an animal, it could be a plant, it could be a word. But, you know, let's say that you're focusing on a snail. That's your focus for today. And you're walking into your car and there's a snail on the gutter of your house. You're like, huh, snail. And then you're driving to work and there's a billboard with a giant snail saying something. You're like, huh, snail. And then you get to work and the company has changed all the screensavers on the computers And there's this giant spiraling pattern and you're like, snail, right? So you, you might not have noticed the repetition of the symbol if you weren't paying attention. Your eyes would have skimmed over and been like, what's that funny thing on the, on, you know, on the gutter, on the drain pipe? Oh, there, I'm so tired of billboards on the highway. Why do we have to have these billboards? Oh God, Mm -hmm. they changed the screensavers. I liked my old screensaver, right? So the same information would be coming in, but you would be interpreting it differently. So by choosing something to pay attention to, you can begin to see for yourself the patterns that occur over the day and how you normally would handle them or not handle them. So this is the beginning point because what you're doing when you're pulling up all this information, right? All this like, countless information that you're taking in all the time is you're looking for patterns and you're not doing this consciously. So you kind of have to like train yourself to start to see patterns so that your subconscious goes, Oh, we're looking for patterns on it and starts identifying them and calling them to your conscious attention. So that's Mm. a really good beginning point.
0: That is so fabulous. I mean, my mind is just like, I feel like I've had like an hour massage listening to you just say the answer (laughs) and like expansion because I run physical yoga trainings and just what you said can be applied to to me in my mind, like everything, like whether you're helping people with their biomechanics and their bodies, they're, you know, structurally and very physically, you know. I also have developed psychic abilities and I'm always working on that. And so that's like, you know, going from the most gross to the most, you know, esoteric. And a woman that I was training with was talking about like, all the information's out there, right? You're receiving all the information. And that's something that I've really realized in my own development of certain intuitive things that like, yeah, I've, I've been getting this information for a long time and, and it's just like organizing it with patterns. And so I yes. think that that answer could be really applied to your kitchen cabinets, to your love life, like to everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it so absolutely good. could. It absolutely could. And it's, you know, we invigorate what we pay attention to. Yes, which is, that's the law of attraction. It's as simple as that, right? Mm -hmm. We are invigorating what we pay attention to. So begin paying attention to some different things to set new patterns in your brain and see what happens. And remember, like, this does not have to be crazy serious. This can be fun. This can be play.
0: And that's it. And I think that's such an important point to add that flavor because I think a lot of times we say like, oh, we're doing mystical practices now, or we're doing, you know, and it becomes this Very serious, serious thing, Very right? Serious. And we're so serious. And to me, in my mind, you know, really, it's the playful energy creates an expansion of our consciousness, and our ability to take in what we're taking in, even in our intellectual prowess. I think the more playful we are, the more absorbent, receptive, and brilliant we are. I that agree. Stance, that's a great, great, Important point. Thank you. Wow. Well, Maya, would you be willing to punctuate our conversation and lead us in a few minute meditation, perhaps connecting to a plant spirit team member or herbal ally or whatever you feel moved to punctuate our conversation?
1: Oh, my. Hmm. Yeah. Let's see here. You know, why don't we just do um, a grounding exercise? Because I think that for me, at a very basic level, finding your own roots helps you connect with other rooted things. So I think this is a, a very simple, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you have green growing things around you or not. If you're driving, save this for later, because <laughs> I know people <laughs> listen to podcasts in all kinds of places in all kinds of ways. So if you're able right now, get yourself into... comfortable standing position. And you're going to want to be standing for this. So if you can't stand right now, save it for later. And just get your feet under your hips and feel them. Feel the bottoms of your feet and spread out your toes and wiggle them. Just get a real sense of your legs. And then you're just going to stretch up tall. Just think feet in the earth, head in the sky. and I want you to picture up over your head, I always picture like a copper-colored sun, just a little spinning sphere of some kind of liquidy, yummy, colorful goo. (laughs) And you're going to let that just fall onto the very top of your head. And imagine it dripping through your body. It might be going down your spine or through your insides. It doesn't matter. And then it's going to drip right out your tailbone and into the earth. So you now have this long line of copper-colored luminescence connecting you between sky and earth. And then I want you to let that beautiful copper light drip into the earth itself. And it's just going to go deeper and deeper. If you're in an apartment building, it just goes through all the floors down to the earth and then into the earth. Once it's in the earth, I want you to imagine that it starts to be pulled because there's a giant magnet in the center of the earth. And this is getting pulled magnetically towards that core. So allow this light to just click in to that magnet so that you can feel yourself anchored between earth and sky. And Check your feet. You should still be on the ground. You can imagine little rootlets growing down. And I always love to do a check at this point to get that sense of being anchored and I just let myself kind of wobble forward and back side to side, keeping that sense of being anchored, that that sense of being attached to the earth, just like the trees, just like the plants. And now you can stretch your arms over your head, like your branches going up. And really anchor your feet. And just take a moment, feel what the trees feel, right? That sense of the life force of the stars above them, the earth below them, anchored in between. When you're ready, you can take a couple deep breaths, put your arms down, open your eyes, give a little wiggle. This sense of connection is there for you. You can just, whatever color you were picturing, you can just tune back into that color, right? and tune back into that sense of being clicked in being one with the earth itself.
0: Ah, oh, that was supremely delicious and connective for mind and soul. Thank you, Maya. You're welcome. Maya, where can folks find out about your amazing work in this
1: world? Yeah, so you just go to my website which is www.maya, M-A-I-A, toll, It's all there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Maya is so generously offering all of my monthly mystic members 20% off their first order at herbiary.com and 20% off her very last witch camp, <laughs> um, so that program looks amazing. So definitely head over to modernmystic.love and check out all the freebies, discounts from my incredible guests, and compelling videos and content from yours truly that becoming a monthly Mystic member affords you. I just launched this membership and I'm getting amazing feedback about it. I'm so proud of this platform. I'm humbled and so grateful to all of you who have written me that are really, really feeling like it's a game changer. So grateful to you members. So Maya, thank you for being here today and for your pioneering and inspiring work in this world that really is elevating health and consciousness, and connection exponentially. Thank you
1: so much for having me. This has been absolutely delightful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Namaste. Thank you. Namaste.
0: Thank you for taking these words in. I hope they ground, inform, and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path. If you like what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you use. It is so appreciated. Also, check out my website, modernmystic.love, where you can find information about my very exciting monthly mystic membership. My members have unlimited access to a robust video library, which includes short videos that are easily digestible, sharing practical ways to integrate mystical living into your day-to-day life these compelling videos cover topics such as how to ground protect and grow your energy how to develop your psychic abilities how to connect to your spirit team shadow work inner child work tarot cards lots of western astrology of course In addition to syncing up with the rhythms of nature and so much more, I've gotten so much positive feedback that these videos are game changers for folks. Also included in the membership are over 100 alignment-based yoga classes of all different levels, meditation and breathwork classes, so you can work from the inside out or the outside in and up level yourself as you become the next version of you. Not to mention, my mystic members get all sorts of bonus content and discounts from my visionary podcast guests. So check out modernmystic.love and take a peek there as there's a free sampling of some videos waiting for you. Lastly, if you are looking for some conscious conversation and compelling community, Check out also our private Modern Mystic Podcast Facebook group. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives, one breath at a time.
1: Namaste.